what does the Bible really say about the end times? Well, good morning. Welcome to Life Church. I'm Aaron Cole, the senior pastor. It is great to see you today. And I know there's a lot of guests here today because of the baptisms, and so we're delighted to have you if you're a first-time guest with us at Life Church. And isn't that cool just seeing people baptized? I love that, man. It is all about life change. That's what we say at Life Church. Life Church is about life change. So I'm delighted that you're here. And we're in a brand new series, as Dustin said, uh, kicking off today. Uh, you asked for it. We asked you what are things you want to know about from God's Word. And so uh, that's kind of what we're doing between now and Father's Day. So hopefully you'll join with us every weekend to be a part of that. Today I'm talking about the end of the world, end times, uh, you know, how that works, what happens, and that kind of a deal. And so we're just going to go back to what does God's Word say about this. So if you have your Bibles, if you want to turn with me to Matthew 23, I'm going to be all over uh, scripture today, but I'm going to really, it's going to be kind of a, a, a big piece there. You also got this end time kind of a timeline deal that kind of maybe help categorize some of this stuff. And so I'll get to this in just a minute. I want to make note of something because I think when you're dealing with a subject such as revelation, end times, that kind of a deal, uh, it's what Paul says, this side of eternity, we know in part and we understand in part. We don't have the full enchilada. Uh, and so what happens is, and there becomes a lot of conjecture over well, what is this and what is that? And maybe it happens this way, maybe it's that way. So I'm going to just really try today to stay on what we do know. Uh, and uh, one of the things that I would recommend is this fire Bible, a study Bible. Uh, people ask me, man, do you have a recommendation of a study Bible? Yes, this is it. Don Stamps, who has gone on to be with the Lord, uh, was a missionary to Brazil and wrote all of the articles and did all the cross-referencing, all of that for this Bible. A Bible's a Bible's a Bible's a Bible. It's the same Bible. The study Bible, any study Bible, what it is, is that there's articles, there are references, there is explanations, there is a deeper understanding, and then cross-referencing whatever passage that you're dealing with with another passage and shows, shows you the connection. So as you study it, it's there to help you study. It's study aids. And uh, that kind of explain and go back to and all of that. So uh, I'm saying that because what we're talking about today, there's a lot of great articles and referencing and commentary on that in this particular study Bible. You can pick it up at the Resource Center. You can buy it at Amazon, we get wherever. We don't make any money off of it, so you can do it however you want to do it. I'm just saying I would encourage you if today's subject matter really strikes you and you want to go deeper in that, to do that. So uh, let's start with a couple of questions, some kind of some Q&A. When will the world end? I get asked that every Monday. When will the world end? Well... Like the Mayan cal calendar ended in 2012, and right before that all ended in 2012, there was questions, is the world going to come to an end? Well, it's 2017, and we're still here, right? So it didn't end with the Mayan calendar. In 1988, there were 88 reasons why Jesus was coming back in 88. That was a New York Times bestseller until 1989. <laughs> and the author was from Arkansas. Does that, that should have been your first clue, I'm just telling you. So... Matthew chapter 24, verse 36, Jesus says, But about that day or hour, no one knows. Not even the angels in heaven, nor the Son, but only the Father. So when's it going to happen? We don't know. What we do know is that the disciples believed that they would see Jesus come back in the first century in their lifetime. We'd, so what that tells us is that the return of Christ could happen at any day, at any time, at any hour. Second question is, will the earth be destroyed? 
Because you see a lot of movies, and the earth is blowing up, or there's some huge, or huge major climate shift. Is climate change going to destroy the earth? Blah, uh, blah, 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 blah. Or a nuclear arms race? Are we going to like, somebody like, you know, North Korea is just going to go crazy, and they're going to uh, uh, blow up half of the earth, and when we're, little, we're dealing with this, with this partial planet? Uh, the bottom line is, uh, no, the earth is not going to be destroyed in that manner. And here's the reason why, because the Bible, and we're going to talk about this today, the Bible's real clear about how the end will come. And so there will be a rapture of the church. There will be a tribulation period that's going to take place. Uh, there's going to be a millennial reign, a thousand years of millennial reign of Jesus Christ on this planet. So, so the, tr- the true deal is, is this earth is not going to um, be replaced or be destroyed until God creates a new heavens and new earth according to Revelation 21. Again, these aren't my thoughts. This is what the Bible says. If you think this sounds a bit sci-fi, email God, God at hotmail.com. Don't email me. I'm just telling you what the book says. Um, but, uh, so, but we Catholics and Protestants, we all believe that this is, this is how this is going to work. And so, so, so what does that say about climate change and about all of that kind of a deal? Should, should we steward the planet that we're in? Absolutely. We're, why? Because we're, the Bible said, told Adam and Eve to have dominion over the the, the planet, to, to rule and reign on this planet. That's, so we have a responsibility. But to get wigged out that it's all of a sudden going to, going to implode or explode because of, of, of some ecological system, no. Because, uh, again, unless the Bible's lying, um, and then, uh, you know, or are we going to, there's going to be some nuclear arms race that's going to dissolve us. Does it have the potential to? Sure it does. It, but that potential's always been there. But is it going to happen that way? No. Because why? Because it's what God's word says. So it, it, it very clearly says that, that, uh, and that there's going to be this time period that's going to take place for that to happen. Will there be extraterrestrial takeover? Let's talk about aliens and robots and all that kind of good stuff. Zombies. The Walking Dead. Again, folks, The Walking Dead is filmed in Georgia. Let's just consider the source for just a minute, okay? When you hear the banjos. I grew up south of the Mason-Dixon. There's some crazy folks. Not too much different than uh, northern Wisconsin, I'm just saying. <laughs> Wisconsin is the Arkansas of the north. There is more blaze orange mullets and four-wheel drives than you can shake a stick at. <laughs> when there's 800,000 deer hunters in the woods, somebody's going to get shot. I'm just telling you. It's, welcome to Wisconsin. Um, so, so the Bible doesn't talk about zombies. So there, that's just, I guess, if you like that kind of stuff, you know, whatever. Uh, it does talk about, though, that they're being, um, so robots, I mean, that, you know, that's just an, an automation. And, and artificial intelligence is something that's becoming on the rise. And I, should the Lord Terry is coming, these are things that we probably will deal with. Are the robots going to overtake us and we're, no, we're going exi- to be extinct? No. Right, because God didn't die for a robot. He didn't die for a machine. He died for you and for me. And so we're here. You read the end of the book, we're here. Um, again, if you don't believe the Bible, then you can believe whatever you want to believe. But, but, but according to God's word, we're here all the way through. So we're not eradicated by some takeover or even some alien force. So are there, spirit, are there beings besides us in, this, in our galaxy and the universe in which we live in? Yes. Yes. We know this, Galatians chapter 6, we don't wrestle against flesh and blood, but against everything that exalts itself for the name of the power and the glory of God. There's angels and there's demons. And, and those are real issues. 
those are real, I mean, that's, if you don't believe in the supernatural, then you, you can't really believe in eternity or in the hereafter. Um, so do I believe there's an angel around every corner and a demon behind every bush? No, no, I'm not like that. But I do believe that, that the Bible's very clear that there are principalities and works of, of darkness and things that exalt itself in the name of the power and the glory of God that are very much at work in the world in which we're living in. And so we do know that there is Satan, Lucifer, who is an archangel who, who left with a third of the angels of heaven because he wanted to overtake God, and he was cast out. And uh, we do know that that's, that's, the, that's the, the tension of sin that comes into play that manifests itself in our life. And we do know that, that at the end, we're going to talk about this in the end time, there will be an antichrist and, a, and the mark of the beast. There will be a false prophet, Satan himself, uh, will reveal himself and all of his glory and all of his imps and demons and minions. And I'm not talking about little yellow minions. I'm talking about like demonic powers. Um, and again, and, and you can dismiss that, but I, I, the easiest way for me to explain this to you, I travel quite extensively. And most of the places I'm going to are not five-star hotel resorts, you know. It's, you know, you go up into northern India and to Tibet, and you go to some of these areas, and there's crazy stuff that if we saw it in America, it would literally fill every church and every city and every town. Satan's smart enough to figure out what, what, what he needs to do to get us. And so there, I'm just saying to you, there, there's a real devil. There's a real hell. I mean, I didn't write the book. I'm just saying what it says. So, but, but, but greater is he, Jesus, is in us than he, Satan, that's in the world. And so we overcome, not by ourselves, but, by, but through Jesus Christ. So we don't need to fear that. But we do need to understand that's real deal stuff. So when you see horror flicks that are demonically inspired on, in movies, I know that's Hollywood making that up. But if you've ever been in a room where there's been a demon-possessed person, that's real deal stuff, man. I mean, it's in Scripture. We see it, you know. Uh, uh, Jesus and Peter, James, and John are on the on Mount of Transfiguration, and the other uh, the other disciples are down. And when G when they come off the Mount of Transfiguration, the Bible says that they've been trying to cast out devils all day, and they couldn't do it. And Jesus said, "Oh, you have little faith." I mean, there's some real demonic stuff that go on. We don't see it in our first world world again because if we saw it, it would freak us out. We'll go pay eight bucks a seat to go see it in a movie theater. But if we really re realize how real some of that stuff can be, um, it's, but we're in the planet's not going to be taken over that way by zombies or whatever. So, because there's no scriptural evidence for it. Are we living in the end times? Is today the end times? Well, I think yes, and I'm going to show you why. Matthew chapter 24, I'm going to read this. Jesus is having a, having a conversation with the disciples and talking about what the end of the world would look like. It's a private conversation. Matthew records it for us. So look at verse 3. And Jesus was sitting on the Mount of Olives, which is interesting because when he comes back for the second coming, that's the exact same place he's going to come back to. And the disciples came to him privately. Tell us, they said, when will this happen? What will be the sign of your coming in the end of the age? Verse 4. Jesus answered, watch out that no one deceives you, for many will come in my name claiming that I'm the Messiah and will deceive many of you. And, uh, and you will hear of wars and rumors of wars, but see to it that you are not alarmed. That's important. We'll come back to that. Such things must, not, must happen, but the end is still to come. For nation will rise up against nation and kingdom against kingdom, and there will be famines and earthquakes in various places. And all these are the beginning of the birth pains. The book of Psalms talks about how the earth groans. Uh, Paul in Romans chapter 8, verse 22 through 24, talks about how this earth has birth pains. It's groaning. What, what's he speaking of? It's 
this world was never created by God to handle the fall of man and sin. So everything's off kilter. We're off kilter. It's off kilter. And the only thing that makes that right is, is, is Jesus Christ being in our hearts and our lives. And ultimately, the only thing that's going to right this world in a physical, eco, ecological way is going to be this new heaven and new earth that, that Revelation chapter 20 and 21 described. Verse 9, then you'll be handed over to be persecuted and be put to death, and you'll be hated by all nations because of me. And at that time, many of you will turn away, or many will turn away from their faith and betray each other. And false prophets will appear and deceive many people because of the increase of the wickedness. And the love of most will grow cold, but whoever stands firm to the end will be saved. For this gospel of the kingdom will be preached into all the world as a testimony to all nations, and then the end shall come. So Jesus kind of gives a blueprint here for what the end of the world is going to look like and, and, and signs for that. He first of all says, beware there's going to be deception, verse 4 and 5. And the deception that's taking place is not in the world. The deception that's taking place is in the church. We like to think that all the deception is happening in the world, but it, the truth of the matter is there's deception that's happening inside the church. And, and, and what I mean by that is that we begin to become people that hear what we want to hear. And we rationalize away parts of sin that we don't want to deal with. And we, we, we kind of form our own, we basically take editorial privilege over the Bible and we get it to say what we want it to say. That's it. And, uh, and so, again, I say this very humbly. I didn't write the book. I'm just the messenger. But the Bible says it's very clear on, on, on subject matter. And if we're not careful, we'll allow the world in which we live in, in order to be politically correct or to make people happy, or to pacify people, we'll begin to change it for what we want it to say for, so, so it adjusts itself to us and to our lifestyle. I mean, I don't, I don't, I'm not trying to get in deep weeds on this one, but the whole thing about the uh, gay, lesbian, LGBTQ issue, when it comes to scripture, I didn't write the book, but it's very clear. And any theological debates or conversations that I've had with theologians on this subject matter, it boils down to the only way you can justify that biblically is to take all Pauline theology, so everything that Paul wrote in the New Testament, and cast it and pull it out, and take all Old Testament and pull it out, and that's where you find yourself. Well, you're editing the Bible. So it's a, it's a case in point to go, we need to love everybody, Period. Amen? That's a good amen. We, we, we need to love everybody. We don't need to use our bullets on anybody else but the devil. And, and, and we don't need to let the pulpit or the church become a whipping place for people that, you know, we've all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. None of us are righteous. No, not one. But at the same time, we also have to uphold the standard to go, look, this is what the Bible says. And I didn't write it, but this is what his word says. So I have a choice whether I'm going to conform to it or not. I'm going to accept it or I'm going to reject it. But he still said it. I don't like the parts on gluttony. Right? I'm going to go to a buffet for lunch today. I don't like all that. <laughs> but I got to still accept it. And, and I think this is important to understand that in the last days, there will be many people that will be deceived inside the church and will fall away. So how do we counter against that? Find yourself a church that preaches Jesus, that preaches the Bible, that doesn't back up, and plant yourself there. According to the book of Psalms, the only way you can flourish and grow and prosper in the house of the Lord is to be planted in the house of God. In my 15 years of pastoring this church, I have seen people that within 15 years of me being here, they've been in five different churches. 
That's not being planted. That's like being a potted plant that gets moved away from around from room to room. You're not going to grow very big. You're not going to produce very much. There's going to be very little fruit in your life. Find a place that you go, I believe they preach God's word unashamedly, unapologetically, and plant yourself there. Is it going to be perfect? Nope. Is the pastor going to be perfect? Not at all, especially if it's me. <laughs> if I haven't offended you yet, let's just see each other in the foyer and we'll get it over with. It's, it's going to happen because we're people, right? But the reality is, is I need to find a place that I make sure that the word of God's being preached, that there's conviction that happens in my heart when I'm falling away from the things of God, and, that, and I'm wrestling with things. I'm struggling with things. I'm, 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 I'm pushing back on things. Many times the things that you push against the most are the things that you really need to change the most. They're the things you need to work through the most. So this is something that's happening in, in the last days. Uh, disasters are going to be something else that he says that happens. Verses 6, 7, and 8, there's going to be wars and rumors of wars and famines and earthquakes and all these things that are happening. Um, again, I would say this is where people really get wigged out and live in fear. And I don't understand where Christians live in fear with this stuff. Look, when it's your time to go, it's your time to go. Right? It doesn't matter if you're in an airplane 30,000 feet above the planet or whether, whether you're walking down the, the street going to Jimmy John's. If it's your time to go, you're going to go. So don't, don't live in fear. God's not giving us a spirit of fear, Timothy says, but a power and love and of a sound mind. So we need to go back to, I, I don't need to be, I don't, I don't need to be stupid either, but, 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 but at the same time, there are going to be wars and rumors of wars. There's been 226 armed conflicts since World War II in this, in this world. There are going to be nations against nations. It may be North Korea this week. It could be China next week. It could be Russia the next week. None of this stuff should surprise us. These are all part of the end of the world that's coming. Famines and earthquakes and pestilence and all types of disease. This is all part of it. So should we help people? Yes. Should, should we minister to people? Yes, because we want to see their souls saved, and we want, to, we, we want to help everybody that we possibly can. But at the same time, understand, this is just part of living in the last days, but it should not be something that we're fearful of. We shouldn't get into a little holy huddle and have a little commune and let's just all go buy property somewhere in, in uh, West Texas and, and just pray that, you know, the end of the world is going to come. And we're, no, 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 no. Never does it talk about that in Scripture. No, we are people that live in this world. We're just not of this world. We're people that, and, and, and we're to be light and not to be some little light that's just a holy, holy huddle. Light shines greatest in darkness. Be the light. Be the salt. That's what Jesus called us to do. There'll be denial. Verses 9 through 13 right there, he talks about that the love of most will grow cold. Just an indifference. This is everybody. This becomes humanity. It's indifferent. And you begin to see this. You see so many images and so many stories and so much stuff. That does, that is your heart hard towards those things? Do, do, are you moved with compassion when you see people that are hurting? Do you give to people? Do you operate with generosity? Not just in church, but just in general. Or are you just so indifferent, you're on your way from A to Z that you don't see the, the person on the side of the road that's in need of help? Um, that's what he says in the last days, that that's what will happen. And then verse 14 talks about the dominance that will happen, that the gospel will be, will be preached to the entire world. I want us to say this real quick. This is important to catch because we know that there are 12,000 known languages and or dialects, heart languages as they would call them, uh, in the world. They're spoken in the world today. 10,000 of the 12,000, we have Bibles that are translated. So a translation used to take like a Wycliffe Bible translator 40 years to translate. In today's dollars, it'd be somewhere between 186 to $225,000 to translate a Bible into a various language, heart language, dialect, so forth. 
what's happened is, I was just in a meeting six weeks ago and, and, um, and having a conversation with some people that have made some things happen. And so the American Bible Society, other, other uh, international Bible societies, Wycliffe Bible Translators, Tyndall, all these different people have come together. And they are, they, the, the goal is to uh, facilitate the, uh, the um, translation of God's Word into these last 2,000 languages. They believe they can do this by 2025. November, on the, the mall, the National Mall there in Washington, D.C., um, there is going to be what's called the Museum of the Bible that's opening in November. And so the Green family, who own Hobby Lobby, have given close to a billion dollars to make this happen. Um, and what's going to happen is it's all about promoting the gospel because this is the passage. And, the, and when the gospel would preach into all the world, then the end shall come. How do they know unless there's a Bible and there's a, there's, there's, there's a translation in their own language? And so you actually be able to go there. You'll be in a room with a library. They'll be very interactive. They'll show you all 10,000 of the 12,000 volumes of, of Scripture that's been translated. And there'll be 2,000 empty spots. You'll be able to find out what those heart languages are, what it costs to, tr to translate it. You'll actually even be able to give if you want to because all the money goes towards that to do that. All I'm saying to you is that this is wrapping up. I was in that conversation, and it was very sobering to go, wow, these are the people that are writing the checks that are making it happen for this thing to wrap up, and they believe that this is going to usher in the return of Christ. Is God coming back in 2025? No man knows. But we do know that this is part of what Jesus said that would happen to the fulfillment. So how does, what, what does the timeline look like? So you got this little end time timeline. Again, this is just to be pretty simple. I want to walk you through this real quick. There's scriptural references that are there. just kind of helps to understand this. And, um, and basically, everybody agrees that these things are going to happen. Uh, the only question is, is that some denominations believe that, uh, or some uh, theologies would believe that the tribulation will happen uh, in a different, at a different time period so that, that the rapture happens in the middle of the tribulation. This particular timeline shows what we would call a pre-tribulation rapture. And that some believe it will be at the end of the tribulation. And, uh, and so according to what you'll see here and what's, what's scripture and, and that, I believe that the rapture will take place first and then the tribulation will come. Um, the truth of the matter is, is that it, it's going to happen. The tribulation is going to happen. All these things are going to happen. But this is the timeline, biblically speaking, that makes uh, the most sense from my theological perspective and from, you know, Life Church as a, as a church affiliated with the sins of God that we believe. Um, so that, but, but everybody believes that these things will, will occur. Um, so the first thing is the rapture of the church. So the rapture of the church, 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 16 and 17, it says it like this, For the Lord himself will come down from heaven with a loud command and with the voice of the archangel and with the trumpet call of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. And after that, we who are still alive will be, and are left will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and so will we ever be with the Lord forever. There's coming a day, and this will be the first thing that will take place, that will let us know that this is, this, we're in the end times. We're in the last thousand years of this world. And so that's the rapture of the church. And... Uh, and so it's real simple. The Bible says it'll happen that fast. And, and it's the imminent return of Christ. And that in doing so, that when that takes place, that you don't have to worry about it. Because sometimes people kind of go, well, man, I'm a Christ follower. But like, man, I, I kind of sleep hard. What happens if it happens at night? Am I going to hear the trumpet? Yeah. You don't have to worry about that. You know. Um, but the dead in Christ will rise first. So the graves will give forth the dead first. 
All Christian cemeteries face the east. The headstones all face the east. Because the scripture says that Jesus will come back in the east. He will appear in the east. So there's a cemetery not too far from here in Mequon called Resurrection Cemetery. Which I kind of think is a cool name for a cemetery. And not that I'm into cemeteries, but I'm just saying. And I drive by there on Donjus Bay. And, and if, I could, if the rapture could take place... If I'm still living and the rapture takes place, what I think would be the most cool thing in the world is to be on Donjus Bay Road, driving westbound, approaching that cemetery at that time. Because the earth will erupt with those bodies. And the Bible said, and then because I'm in Christ and I'm alive, so will I be. And on that day, what will happen is, you know, you'll have teachers in classrooms they're teaching third graders, and she'll turn around to write on the board, and if she's not a Christ follower, she'll turn back around, and those kids will all be gone. Daycares, gone. Planes falling out of skies because there's no pilot, because the pilot's a Christ follower, gone. The Bible says there'll be two in the field, and one will be gone, and one the other one will be left. Just gone. Cars, everywhere, gone. It will happen that fast, that quickly. So how do you go in the rapture? Well, just make sure that you got your heart right with God. How do you do that? Romans 10, 9 says, If I confess with my mouth and I believe in my heart that Jesus is Lord, I am saved. The baptism that we just did today, that's awesome. That doesn't save you. That is an outward expression of something that's already happened inwardly in the hearts and lives of all those people. That's why we asked them to do a video testimony, to communicate to you that they understood that the transformation didn't take place in that tank, but it took place in their heart. But that tank is a physical illustration that they went into it, an old man full of dead, uh, sin and, and death, and they came out with a new life in Jesus Christ. So if you've given your heart and life to Christ, you can know that heaven is your home and the trumpet of the Lord will sound, the rapture takes place, time is no more, you will be caught up in the air and you'll be with Jesus forever. It's that simple. But it'll be that scary. Because here's what's going to happen on this earth. This earth is not going to know how to handle it. Because since the beginning of time, the presence of God has been on this planet. Even in Genesis chapter 1, and the Spirit of God hovered over the deep. So before this was no form and it was void, God's Holy Spirit, God's Spirit, His presence was there. Where does God's spirit and presence reside? In the hearts and lives of men and women. It doesn't, ha it doesn't reside in buildings or temples. So if all the Christ followers are gone, what happens? For the first time in the history of this planet, it's been without the presence of God. That's what will make hell so, is so bad. It's not, the, it's not the, 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 the weeping and wailing and gnashing of teeth that John the Revelator says. It's not those other things that are happening. What makes hell so bad and so difficult is that it's, it's a complete, utter darkness and being shunned and completely separated as a creation from God the Father, the Creator, forever. So on that day the rapture takes place, there'll be people that were in church. Because going to church doesn't make you a Christian. Right? No more than going to Taco Bell makes you a taco. You got that, right? Everybody get that? <laughs> or going to a garage makes you a car. Sitting in a church building, that'll make you a Christian. This isn't osmosis. So the reality is, is there'll be people that will bang down the doors of this building. 
looking for answers. Is there anybody here? Is there anybody here? Is there anybody here? This is just me. This is my interpretation at this point. Trying to find and reconcile answers. And I think there'll be other people here going, what do we do? We've missed it. We weren't ready. Our lives weren't right with God. It's real. I didn't write it. I'm just telling you. That's how, that's what will happen. Those of us, when we go to heaven, this is the second thing, the judgment seat of Christ takes place. This is where we stand before God, before Jesus, and everything that we've done, we lay it before him, and it's tried by fire, which means that our motives are tried in that, and only what's done for Christ lasts, and then that is given given to us a, a crown of righteousness. It's the crown of life. Now, I don't have time to go into this, but in the New Testament, there's five different crowns. This is the reason why the Bible talks about Paul says, when you run this race, run it competitively. Run it to win. This isn't like something that you just do your hour on Sunday and you, and you take your communion and you go on. No, no, no. This is a 24-7 thing. If we really believe that eternity it really exists, if we really believe that God died for lost, uh, lost and dying people, if we really believe that, that, that we, then, then we live our lives today for eternity. And so the only thing that gets into eternity are people. That's our marriages, that's our kids, that's our parents, that's our friends, that's our church family. This is, this is what it's about. It's not about buildings, it's not about houses, it's not about bank accounts, it's not about cars, it's about people. The rest of the stuff is just wood, hay, and stubble, man. It's all going to burn. The only thing that lasts is people. That's it. And so what we've done in his name to serve people, what we've done in his name that's been right and pure before him, every time we gave in that offering for missionaries to see something happen and our heart and life was right, every time we sacrificed of our, of our time to help someone else out and we didn't name the Lord, whatever, it, it's, God sees all that. It's all recorded. And, and so then we hear those words, well done, good and faithful servant, and we receive a crown of life and a crown of righteousness. And the Bible says then at the, end of, at the end of the judgment seat of Christ, we'll take all of our crowns and we'll take them off and we'll place them at the feet of Jesus. I don't know about you, but on that day, I want to have the biggest crown I can have. I don't want a little flimsy Burger King crown. You know what I'm talking about? I want to be the biggest crown I can get. I'm going to run this race. You want to sit back and watch it happen, baby? Get your Diet Coke and your bag of Funyuns? Go on with your bad self. But I'm going to run this thing to win. Because only what's done for Christ will last. That's the judgment seat of Christ. What's happening on the, on, uh, uh, on the earth? Well, because of the, the rapture and because of all the cataclysmic activities that are going to happen, there's going to be this panic that's going to take place on the planet. And so it's the, the seven-year tribulation is, is what theologians call this period of time on the earth for seven years. There'll be an antichrist. They won't know that he's the antichrist, but there'll be a leader that will emerge and will bring world peace. Not just national peace, but world peace. For the first time ever in recorded history, there'll be this world peace that will be given. And, and there'll be unprecedented to that point in time, peace and prosperity. Three and a half years into this, he'll reveal who he is. He'll reveal that he's the Antichrist. He'll reveal the false prophet. He'll, impl he'll implement the mark of the beast, which is a, which is a, 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 a mark that will be given that you will have to, that no one can eat or buy food or live without that. And if you reject it, you'll die. That's just why people that go, well, you know, man, I'll just take my chances. If I miss the rapture, you know, if I go live for God and I don't take the mark of the beast and I don't do all that, then I, 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 can, I can get to heaven. And the answer to that is yes, you can. But the reality is, is if you can't live for God now, 
We don't have persecution in this country. There's, we're, we're on the verge of prosecution, but we don't have persecution in this country. If you can't live for God now, you won't be able to make it then. I've heard that all my life, and the more I breathe this and the more I study this, the more I believe it. And those last three and a half years will be horrific. It's that seven-year tribulation period that takes place. What's happening in heaven? Well, <laughs> so glad you asked that. What happens in heaven at that point in time is there's what's called the marriage supper of the Lamb. There's a feast. It's a party. It's a full heavenly buffet with no calories. Amen. Because what happens at that point, we have been raptured, the church. We've been raptured. We've received our reward. And now there's a celebration that we, the church, the bride of Christ, is, is united with the groom. So it's like a marriage party, a marriage dinner, a marriage celebration that will last for seven years. So while on this earth there's a seven-year tribulation, in heaven there's this seven years of, of um, just the marriage supper of the Lamb. And again, there's all the scriptures that are there. I'm not, I'm not reading all of this for you uh, just for the sake of time. At the end of the marriage supper of the Lamb, though, is when Jesus comes back to the earth. This is the second coming of Christ. The rapture is not the second coming of Christ. The rapture, he calls us home. But the second coming of Christ is, where, is what we see as the battle of Armageddon. This is where all the powers of the Antichrist and the world powers will set a stage there in the Middle East and actually think that they can take Jesus and the armies of heaven out. And Jesus will come back and with one, with just with one movement will obliterate them all. Look at it in Revelation chapter 19, verse 11. I saw heaven open, and there before me was a white horse whose rider is faithful and true. With justice, he judges and makes war. His eyes are like a blazing fire, and on his head are many crowns. He has a name written on him that no one knows but he himself. He's dressed in a robe dipped in blood, and his name is the word of God. So we know this is Jesus. And the armies of heaven, that's us. We're following him, riding on white horses, dressed in fine linen, white and clean. Verse 19, and then I saw the beast, speaking of the mark of the beast, and the kings of the earth and their armies gathered together to make war against the rider on the horse and his army. But the beast was captured, and with him was a false prophet who performed all the signs on his behalf. And with these signs he deluded those who had received the mark of the beast and worshipped his image. And the two of them were thrown alive into a fiery lake of burning sulfur. So Jesus comes back, we come with him, boom. We don't get to even draw the sword. I mean, they're just done. That's how powerful he is. And then there's what's called the millennial reign of Christ. There's a thousand-year millennial reign of Christ on the planet, this planet. That's why when you say, is the world going to be dissolved by some nuclear arms race? No, because this has to happen. And the Bible says that we who are with him will come to this planet and rule and reign with Jesus for a thousand years. And so in that period of time, this may seem confusing, those of us that have gone to heaven that are with the Lord, that are here on the earth ruling and reigning with him, there's still been people on this planet who are, who are living, humans, right? Humanity that's here. And so, and that will continue to happen. The Bible says during that thousand years, there'll be people that will, that will, will be born and will die and, and be married and given in marriage and all of that. And again, Jesus will be the king. I mean, he, he will, I mean, it's, he's it. And that's it. And, um, and so... Um, and, and in that time, we'll rule and reign on this planet. Where do we live? What do we do? I don't know. This is my own little thing, though. I think all of those of us that have lived our life in a cold climate, we're going to be like in Maui or somewhere. That's just what I think. 
It's not in the Bible, but that's what I think. And I tell all my friends that are in Maui and these really nice places, I just go, yeah, you're going to be in Siberia. <laughs> you're going to get to rule and reign with Jesus. It's going to be cold. So anyhow, so, um, <clears throat> so this happens. And then, um, and then there's the final judgment. The final judgment. Um, and this is the great white throne judgment. And look at in Revelation chapter 20. Then I saw a great white throne and him who was seated on it, that heavens and the earth fled from his presence and there was no place for them. And I saw the dead and the great and small standing before the throne and the books were open. Another book was open, which is called the book of life. And the dead were judged according to what they had done as what, what was recorded in the books. And the sea gave up the dead that were in it and the death and Hades gave up the dead that were in them and everyone who was judged according to what they had done. And death and Hades were thrown into the lake of fire and the lake of fire is the second death and all whose names were not found written in the book of life were thrown into the lake of fire. That judgment isn't for us that are Christ followers. That's for every person who rejected Jesus. They have a choice. They'll stand and give an account for why they rejected Christ. And then they'll be sentenced to hell. The interesting part about this is, is that because for us, in order for, for us to be in eternity without any pain or anguish or heartache or, or loss... We won't know anyone who's not on this planet. So we go to heaven, and there are people that, that, that didn't go to heaven. We don't know them. But they still have the ability to see and know who we are. And, and, and as the judgment is given, one by one, I can see people crying out to a grandmother who tried to tell them about Jesus, and they refused. And the grandmother sees them, but she doesn't see them because she doesn't know who they are anymore because she's in a glorified body, and she's been raptured, and heaven's her home. This is, again, I didn't write this. I'm just saying it's all, it's all in Scripture. And, and we all, Catholics, Protestants, we all believe in this final judgment being this way. And in the end, there's a new heaven, a new earth. Revelation chapter 21. That there's a new heaven, and that there's a new earth. That there is no longer the ability for sin or sickness or disease or Satan to ever enter into the equation. It's perfection for eternity. That's when the new heaven, that's when the new earth takes place. Not because of some lack of stewardship on our part with this planet. So what do we do? What, what do we do with this information? Well, first of all, I think it should infuse us as Christ followers with hope. What do you mean by that, Aaron? Here's what I mean. I know heaven's my home. I have that peace and that assurance that I'm right with God, that I've asked him to come into my heart and into my life, and he's my Lord and my Savior. So I don't have to fear what's going to happen to this world or what's going to happen in this world. I just keep my eyes on Jesus. I'm infused with hope because we win. In the end, we win. Sickness and death and pain and Satan himself, they're all defeated. That all the sorrow and all the hurting and all the pain, it's gone. And that there's a hope that I have. It's what Paul says, to be absent in the body is to be present with the Father. I don't have to worry. I'm not, that's the thing. I, and I don't understand Christians that do this. I don't understand Christians that get all wigged out about all this stuff. Because according to Scripture, worry is a sin. Read the Bible. Get your nose in the book and read the book 
and know what it says. Because ignorance doesn't save you. If ignorance saved us, let's don't tell anybody the truth and we'll all be saved. Ignorance doesn't save us. Truth is what saves us. And the truth of God's word is what sets us free according to Scripture. So this should infuse us with hope that we, 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 we know what happens. I think the other thing it should do for us is it, it contrasts the eternal with the temporary. We get so caught up in temporary things. So many of you today, are you worried about 12 o'clock right now and what you're doing this afternoon and what's going on? The question you should be asking yourself, are you going to hell? Are you going to heaven? Where are you at with God? And maybe there are people in this room that are wrestling with that issue and all you're worried about is what you're going to eat for lunch. You gluttonous group of people. I'm preaching to myself. How much time do we get caught up on things that just don't matter? Can I tell you the only thing we take to heaven is people. You. You're what matters. Your kids. Your parents. You. You're what matters. This building doesn't matter. And programs don't matter. Fine clothes don't matter. And cars and houses. It doesn't matter. Your bank account doesn't matter. Whether the Packers make it to the Super Bowl or they don't, it doesn't matter in light of eternity. The only thing that matters is you. Where are you at? And I think sometimes in our first world living, we forget that there's really a heaven to gain and there's a hell to shun. We forget there are really people that are making eternal choices and decisions on a regular basis, and we're a part of that. We forget that God died for every single person on this planet, whether we like them or we don't. That God loved us while we were dead in our sins and we were still sinners. That's when Christ loved you and loved me. So I think sometimes when I hear a message like this, it makes me think, you know what? I need to really look at what's real. What really lasts. What's really important. And focus on those things. And let everything else fade. I think when we see this, we, we realize that we, we should be motivated to, to, to reach and to pray for the lost. If we really believe the Bible, we should be doing more to reach people that are far away from God. Not just with offerings. That's easy. I'm going to tell you, writing a check is the easiest thing you're ever going to do. That missions offering, that's the easiest thing you're ever going to do. That's low-hanging fruit. But that coworker, that neighbor, that family member, they're going into eternity without Jesus. Where are they? Does that bother you? When was the last time that you cried? You cried. Sir, you, not your wife, you. You cried and you pleaded with God for the salvation of a lost friend or family member. When was the last time that the, that the heaviness of eternity was so heavy on your heart that it moved you to tears? When was the last time that it adjusted your schedule or it changed your daytime or, or it changed your planner? When was the last time that it changed your pocketbook? When was the last time that it changed your life that you began to rearrange things in order to? See, the only thing that we won't be able to do in heaven that we can do here is to see someone who's lost become found to see the amazing, transformative grace of Jesus be poured into someone's life. And when we get to heaven, 
There's a song that John says in the book of Revelation that we will sing that the angels cannot sing. It's called the Song of the Redeemed. Because we were once lost, sons and daughters of God. And God so loved us that he sent his only son, Jesus Christ. And that because we accepted that free gift of salvation, we are now redeemed and we're in heaven and eternity. The angels will sing every other chorus. Except John says there'll be a time where we'll begin to sing and the angels will be silent because they don't understand it. Because they were created in a way that they don't have to have choice to serve God. But you and I will sing that. I think the other thing it does is it just makes us reflect and bring about some life alterations. Maybe you're here today and you're far away from God. I'm not going to do an altar call. I'm not going to try to manipulate the emotion of the moment. But it's real simple. I'm not asking you if you're a member of a church. I'm not asking if you were baptized in church. I'm not asking you if you're friends with the pastor. I'm not asking you if you're Catholic or you're Protestant. It really doesn't matter. Only thing that matters, according to Scripture, is do you have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ? Have you, as an adult, with free volition and will, asked Jesus Christ to come into your heart, to come into your life, be your Lord, and be your Savior, to forgive you of your sins, that you are a sinner in need of a Savior? See, if baptism saved you, then what are we doing here? Let's just baptize every infant and every child, and we're safe. No. What saves you is not something that you have the ability to do or I have the ability to do. The thief on the cross that goes to heaven with Jesus didn't have the ability to be baptized or be confirmed by the church or have a priest give last rites over him. No, no, no. He got to heaven because he hung there on the cross and said, this man has done nothing. He is the Messiah. And Jesus says, because of what you've done and because of what you believe, today you'll be with me in paradise. Believing in my heart, confessing with my mouth, that's salvation. And maybe today, that's what you need to do. Because before we leave this church service today, the trumpet of the Lord could sound and time would be no more. The imminent return of Christ. Or maybe you're just a crusty Christian. And you're like, you know, man, I have so been so busy doing so many other things that I need to refocus on some things that really last, that really matter. Listen to the words of Isaiah, and I'm going to pray. Seek the Lord while he may be found, and call on him while he is near. Meaning there's going to come a time he's not going to be found, and there's going to come a time where he's not near. Let the wicked forsake their ways and the unrighteous their thoughts. Let them turn to the Lord, and he will have mercy on them and to our God, for he will freely pardon and forgive.